inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. Radio Western. Happy Monday morning. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first Outlook of February 2023. How are you doing this so morning, Kerr? Good. Uh, February is my birthday month. Yeah, very exciting. <laughs> Coming up at the end of the week. So I imagine we'll talk a bit about that maybe more next week. But uh, happy early birthday to co-host Carrie over there. And... Uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. It's warming up a bit outside, a little nicer than it was when I came in on Friday for my music show. It was pretty snowy and... Uh, Here, for you, it was bad. Yeah, I guess back where you were in Woodstock, Ontario, it wasn't <laughs> that bad, right? Nope, not well, not quite like this. Not quite like here. But uh, it always makes for an interesting challenge when, when, you're, when you can't see and you're traveling in snow. Sometimes I find it can be easier if it's... When it's shoveled up nice, which here at Western University on campus, just want to mention that they do do, they do a very great job of cleaning up the snow so it's generally to find the bus to go home and stuff it wasn't it's uh, not too bad I made it home just fine but uh, it uh, always makes things interesting but it is February first show of February and we wrapped up Braille Literacy Month there in January and now we're into White Cane Week I care yeah it kind of snuck up on me there yeah this year I almost forgot I was like oh holy crow it's already February well there was a whole debate when family day is in with talking to you recently yeah I got kind of mixed up don't always trust Siri when you're trying to sort things out like that did you check what year (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh, I got that started out family days in a couple weeks but we are here this week live in studio for a brand new episode of Outlook during this white cane week which we'll talk a little bit about today but probably um, more focused uh, on future shows but um, well yeah and our our guest today we're going to talk a lot about guide dogs so for sure and that's a debate or not a debate but more of a sort of discussion or preference right everyone has a different preference uh, guide dog versus cane and it's not one's not right or wrong it depends on each person's preference so i think that'll be something interesting to talk about today with with our guest so let's get to her then uh thanks everybody for tuning in 94.9 chrw radio western on this monday morning and today we are speaking with a storyteller which is what she is if you want to search for online kim kilpatrick thanks for coming on outlook today Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on today, Kim Kilpatrick, and uh, definitely heard heard your name mentioned a, a bit over the past few years since I kind of got more involved in the blindness community. But don't don't believe I've ever actually met you in person. So it is great to have you here on on the radio and to meet uh, virtually. Yeah, I've heard of your names too, but I don't think I don't think we've ever met in person. Not that I remember, but yeah, it's great to be on. It's great to be on your show. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on. And uh, it's, it's funny, we often talk about on this show, we're always looking for guests and just through some connections in the past few years and certain things that we've, we've done through the, through the CFB, we've met a lot more people out west in BC than, than Ontario. And it's, it's kind of si- silly in a way. It's like, this is the province I live in and I need to you know, find more blind people and, and uh, community around here. But uh, it's interesting because you, you are actually, um, you live in Ottawa, just to let our listeners know. Um, yes. But, but currently... Mm-hmm. 
Currently, you're not. Uh, I don't think you're calling in from Ottawa today, right? Is that correct? No, I'm in Calgary. I'm in Calgary um, doing uh, one of my, I have three one-woman shows, um, all about blindness. The first one I created in about 2011 is called Flying in the Dark. And it's kind of like what it's like to grow up as a kid who is blind. And my second show is the one that uh, we're touring right now in Calgary at Munchbox Theatre. It's called Raising Stanley Life with Tulia. And it's a show that I created with a visual artist, a painter, who raises guide dog puppies. And so she had a lot of paintings about her puppies. And we kind of said, well, wouldn't it be cool if we had, you know, storytelling and paintings? And then we ended up creating this this play that's like um. The pictures are audio described and so and have music to go along with them and the stories are there. So it's a fully accessible show uh, right from like built into the show. So the audio descriptions, everyone hears them, the, um, you know, so everyone hears the music, the audio description, the stories. So that's all about um, why I chose to get a guide dog and my guide dogs and about life with guide dogs and the paintings of puppy raisers and so that I'm performing now in Calgary till the 19th so I have 23 shows we have six down now I think it is um yeah and so and then my third show I created in 2020 well it was performed first in 2022 um which was dangerous touch and it's actually about living through COVID as someone who is blind and what that was like. So, um, yeah, so yes, that's why I'm here in Alberta, but I am actually <laughs> from Ontario. So it, it's, a, it's a circuitous way to tell you that. Uh, yeah, well, it's, I think it's a beautiful spot to be in. I don't know, are you getting to look look around a bit and do some tour, touring around? A, or you a pretty, little bit now. Quite the schedule a little here, bit now. With your shows. Yeah, like the first week we were here, there were like long days of rehearsals to get Mm -hmm. the show up and rolling. So I wasn't doing anything except sort of rehearsing and getting the script. And um, and then the first, you know, opening show. But I have been starting to sort of walk around. And I don't know about you guys, but you know, when you're in a new place, um, learning it is mentally you know, tiring a bit. And so like I was already sort of mentally tired from from figuring out the show. So I'm just starting to feel more comfortable and start to be a bit more adventurous and walk around and try to use apps to kind of figure out, you know, where I am in relation to other things. And so I'm starting to a little bit more now. Um, Yeah, like uh, I'm doing a little bit more. So, but still, you know, I have a lot of shows like on Friday, no, yeah, Friday and Saturday, I had two shows each day. So yeah. when you have two shows, then you know too much else other than that. Well, you're, you're there long <laughs> but, enough yeah. that you're there long enough, kind of, that you can, like you say, if you're not somebody who might have the energy to go out and figure it all out in one week and when some when you're visiting a city and you get to be there for a couple of weeks at least, then you, it's almost like it's just about yeah. enough time where you can start to feel. Like yeah, I'm starting to feel that. Learn about and where and my dog are. was starting to get a bit stir crazy. Like, mm-hmm. like let's work. We want to do something because she's only three and a half. So, you know, like then I said, okay, let's go out with the apps. I mean, it's kind of nice to have apps too now that you can, they'll make you feel a little more comfortable as to where you are and, you know, telling you things around you or, you know, using Blind Square, using Lazarello or Soundscape. Or, you know, like, 
it does make you give you a little more confidence if you got turned around or to know where you are. I mean, you don't trust them totally, but it kind of helps, I think, to have some apps to do it. Well, especially if you are in a, well, if you're in a hurry, it's hard to time yourself when you don't know how much time you might need to get somewhere. Some, t- some days you might get there really fast. So how much, t- how much early or ahead of time do you go? I find that hard to know. Yeah, yeah, that can be, that can be tricky. And especially if you don't know um, what might happen along the way or if you get turned yeah. around, you know, when you, when you move to a new area or when you're in a new place. Yeah, and know, sometimes it, it, too, it's construction, like all these things you can't always predict either. And then when you, when you can't see, sometimes it does just delay it a little bit more. I mean, for anyone, you have to plan how much time it's going to take to get somewhere. But, uh, you know, there's always... Well, you know, factors. the interesting thing is we were walking, we were walking home yesterday, like back yesterday from the theater and you go underneath the train tracks, which was fine, but I got to the next corner to cross it and the train was going by over the track. So it meant you couldn't hear any of the traffic until oh. the train went by, right? right. Like you couldn't Bad hear timing. traffic to read it. So, so I mean, but it was a long train. must have been a freight because <laughs> it went on for quite a while. And I thought, oh, good thing I'm going home because if I was going in, you know, I, I would, it would have taken me, I mean, it wasn't 10 minutes or anything, but it's just something you don't know. And then when you do it, you think, oh yeah, if that happens, that's going to take a couple minutes, you know, for, for sure, things yeah. to be right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of shows in a, in a you know three weeks, just under three weeks, I guess, um, time. So that's yeah, that's definitely quite busy. And uh, I yeah. guess people, if if they are interested, if if we have anyone listening now from Alberta, I believe there are still tickets available for these uh, for these shows. People, oh, absolutely. Come. So if you go to Lunchbox Theater, so um, the shows are mostly at lunchtime, which is kind of nice for people. They can you know take an hour and see a show, and then we have. Uh, a couple shows on Friday, extra shows on Fridays and Saturdays at 6.30 and at 4 p.m. a mountain time. So Lunchbox Theater is where you can get your tickets. And um, it's in the Calgary Tower, so it's it's right downtown. So, I mean, uh, so, yeah, hopefully people will come. Hopefully yeah, well, they will. We'll make sure also great. to... Um to share the link in, in the podcast notes. We'll get this up as a podcast uh, by tomorrow at the latest, and we'll make sure to put a link in there too if anyone uh, oh, finds perfect. it after. And well, thank you so much. And going out, because it sounds like a really interesting show. Unfortunately, I don't think I'll be able to make it from London, Ontario, but... Uh, well, but, uh, you know, well, hopefully, I mean, we, we were touring the show quite a bit before COVID, and this is the first time since COVID that we've put it back up. So right. hopefully other places will show an interest in it, and we can do it other places too, so... That'd be good. Yeah, I saw you had some uh, shows that are for um, with some COVID restrictions. Just to think about people with different uh, chronic illnesses and things that might still be a little more at risk of something around COVID to have some options. Like I might be, you yeah. know, interesting touring now that you know everything is starting to open back up again. Well, I have some immune compromisation, so I'm careful too. So I, I, it was good that we did that. Also, yesterday we had an ASL show and a relaxed show. Um, so that was good that we, you know, we, we try to do as much as we can in terms of accessibility and, you know, making people feel comfortable to, For sure, to yeah. come out. Yeah, everyone's situation is different, and um, you know, I was I was reading that it said anyone sitting in the in the front couple of rows um, is required to to wear a mask, and you know, this in my opinion makes perfect sense if you're you you are immunocompromised. And, That's for me, right? And and my yeah. my sister uh, Carrie here and I are also immunocompromised. We both had um, kidney transplants 
Um, so, you know, I can kind of relate in that same sense. I don't know exactly what, what it is that, uh, is, is the reason for your, your being immunocompromised, if that's something you yeah, care to share. So but. I have, I have rheumatoid, I have rheumatoid arthritis. So the medications that I take to sort of control it mean that I'm immune compromised. So, um, yeah, so I'm grateful that the theater, you know, the company, they said that would be great. And, and people are, you know, I'm sure, I think, People, I mean, I, I imagine the people letting people into the theater are doing that. And so I'm grateful for that because, like you say, I mean, no one knows who might be immune compromised in your, I mean, we think of people, you know, seniors or people, very elderly people, but no one really knows if someone was on chemo or if someone, like you said, you had a transplant, like I have an autoimmune disease, which means I take medications, which can cause that so I think that's it we just don't know and I think I don't know personally I think Not wearing masks is a very Small yeah, it seems like it's the le- it's the it's the least we can do. Like it just seems like something we can definitely do to yeah. in these situations, especially like you say when it's a when it's a it show with everybody. Yeah, when there's a bunch of people in, gathered in one in one in, indoor setting like that, it's uh, it only makes sense to me. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, um, we will talk about your show again and uh, in the second half. But as we were saying, that means right now you're from Ottawa, but you're not in Ottawa. Um, mm-hmm. did you grow up in Ottawa? I did. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, most of the time we spent in Ottawa. Uh, I have a father. My dad was a diplomat, so we moved a little bit, but mostly we were in Ottawa. Okay. So although I went to W. Ross McDonald school, so I was, a you know, away at school for times, but I was in Ottawa, you know, in high school. And then I went off a bit further for university but then I came back and I've lived in Ottawa you know good chunk of my life and how do you how do you generally find Ottawa for accessibility and traveling with with the transit and all that I, I I've been there a couple times but never really independently traveling on my own so I was just kind of curious on the um it's generally good um I know we have a bit of a laughing laughing stock reputation about our LRT which is fairly new and has all has had some problems but generally I mean the LRT is very accessible when you know it's um and I find um I was kind of involved in getting the buses to have the exterior bus announcements um and now they and they did first have interior bus announcements so it would announce the stops and now they have exterior announcements so when the bus pulls up it tells you what bus it is and which you know which direction so that's very that's very helpful I find um the city's accessibility office is very good and responsive and I, I feel they really care about, you know, what we say in, in the disability community about, you know, they consult us and they try to implement what people say. So I actually find it pretty good. Um, I know no city is perfect, but right. I find it pretty good, really, for the most part. Yeah. Well, recently with the, uh, the death of uh, David Onley, who, of course, he fought for uh, accessibility in Toronto and the government, Queen's Park, not in Ottawa federally. But I assume, you know, you'd think a city where, as our capital city, think that that should be a place where accessibility should be uh, high up there. Yeah, Yeah, top of the list, but you never know. Yeah, the interesting thing about Ottawa, though, too, is that a lot of the things um, bridge different jurisdictions. So 
you know, like Ottawa Gatineau is kind of a region. So the part of it goes into the Quebec side. So sometimes, you know, like for example, I think our LRT or some of our systems are kind of partly under this, partly under that, partly under something else. Mm-hmm. But generally it is. Like generally I find it pretty good. There's a lot of audible crossing signals. There's a lot of tactile wayfinding. Um, like I live in the downtown core and the, I find the downtown core. I mean, I've lived there for a long time, so I know the order of the streets and everything, but I, I do find it pretty accessible. I I, I find a, that it is quite good. We have had a bit of a battle um about the e-scooters pilot oh. um, right. over the last few years, but uh, and that was a bit of a fight, um, and is still maybe a bit of a fight. But other otherwise, like I and even that has improved. It, it's not perfect, but definitely over the time of the trials, like it it has improved. And um, so I do feel I feel like they listen and uh, that things are pretty good, uh, not perfect. But I would say like pretty good though. So you've grown up there, you've been there all your life practically, but you said you did go to the School for the Blind in Brantford. Uh, was that your whole school? You said for high school you were back in Ottawa, right? Oh, okay. So. Uh, the end of high school of I high was school. back. Okay. I went from grade three because we were in the U.S. when I started school. So grade three uh. to grade 12. And then I had grade 13 in Ottawa and then I was... Uh, so I was there for quite a long time. Yeah. So then you would have gone home on the weekends or not even? Um, every other weekend. Because uh, mm. nowadays they fly back and forth, but we had a big long bus ride. So like every oh. other weekend, um, it wasn't every weekend for sure. Yeah, because I figured. But I had a. You're, you're close enough there, lived. but not closer than some people not at that close. time, but. Yeah, not, not too close, close enough. But I had a grandmother, grandparents who lived half an hour from Brantford. So I used to go on the weekends. I didn't go home. I used to go and stay with them. So that was good too. Okay. Able to do that. At least that was something. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask. We like to ask uh, yeah. anybody we have on the show who's gone to a school for the blind, depending on if they had to stay there overnight or not. Uh, everybody's experience is different. I just wasn't sure how, how you did being away and being in that environment. Did you... Um, well, I was very homesick at first, of course. I was little, mm-hmm. right? And But I guess in general, I mean, the, there were things about it, you know, the, the institutionalization, food and institute, you know, like it's, but I, I, I think that I really was okay. I liked it because um, I got involved with so much that was there. Uh, I got involved in sports and music and and I was, you know, I was kind of an academic kid, so I could, you know, I could get, I could do a lot there. I could take advantage of the things that were happening. Um, so I think I didn't, I I think I really did like it. And I liked things about it. I liked that, you know, you could do any extracurricular activities you want without fighting for them, right? That was nice. Mm-hmm. You know, you could do sports, whereas, you know, a lot of people I talked to that went through the regular system never could do gym or you know were told they couldn't do music or they couldn't do this or that thing so for those things and I think for getting a basis like braille and typing and like getting the skills I needed to function later on I think it was a good thing but what I missed was when I would come home like I didn't have friends in the neighborhood or you know like I wasn't involved with the stuff 
around me. So I found that kind of hard because, well, I missed my family too, but I also found it hard because, you know, you didn't have friends that were doing the things you were doing. Um, and in the summers, my parents tried to get me into camps and things like local camps and things that were not blindness related, you know, so that I could have experiences, different experiences from that. Um, so I guess it was a mixed bag, I guess, like anything else, because people do ask. And it's, it's a, to me, there, there were pros and cons. And I, I don't, you know, it's it's tricky to figure out, like, what was better, what would have been better. Okay. It was sort of the only choice at the time. My parents were told, no, like, they could, that was their only choice. They didn't have services for me when, you know, when I started, so... Right, but it would be hard yeah. to be dropped out in and out of this, like pulled up out of the situation, dropped back in it. Yeah, you, know, you can never really yeah. make lasting connections if you're not there. And I think, yeah. you, you, I, sorry, go on. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing that I like is that I have blind friends now that I had, that I made then, right? And so sometimes I think people in the blindness community um, don't have blind support, like blind people friend supports. Um, growing, people growing up, you know, like kids growing up, they don't have someone else to bounce things off of. You know, they don't have that sometimes, um, which I feel I did have. But I found going from um, school for the blind to to sighted school or whatever you want to call it was a huge culture shock. Like that, I I think there might have been a better way to ease into that because it was just so different and so hard at first and very very disorienting and you know like everything was different right so that was that was hard that was one of the hardest things coming back it wasn't easing into it it was like throwing into yeah. it you know you, you definitely make a lot of interesting points there and I think like you say, it's one thing. Like for for Carrie and I, we were we were always integrated, so we were always in mainstreamed in the in the uh, public school system. But the, it's the going back and forth that I think would be really hard. Whereas, you know, you also point out when you mentioned the sports, I think that is another big thing that's been a sort of a common thread when we discuss this with guests. And in, in my situation, it is sort of the case to where I was sort of involved in physical education up to a certain point, but then as I got into the later grades, it did just get much more fast paced being around all sighted kids. Um, so I wasn't really as involved. Um, and so I do think that would be a benefit um, to, to going to the school for the blind. And then that, that led into your swimming, which I think is something that is interesting to talk about because it's, it's actually something I've considered getting into at some point is taking swimming lessons again. I had them briefly when I was a child, but um, you definitely you know, picked up swimming there and you were, you were involved in the Paralympics. Um, if you wanted to maybe just tell our listeners yeah, brief, briefly yeah, about was. that and your and your interest in swimming. Yeah, so um, I I don't I don't quite know how I got into competitive swimming. I think we were doing swimming at the school, and then they had this once a week club where we would just swim against each other, and then we gradually started doing more and more of it. And um, so yeah, so I got into competitive swimming around age like 12, 13, like that. And um, it was kind of when the Paralympics were very new and very, you know, um, I'm not saying easier than they are now, but in a way, um, like they were very new, very experimental. There weren't as many athletes. I'm not saying like I right. shouldn't have gone, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's a bit uh, trickier now, I think, to get into those things. Um, and so I was lucky enough to go to two Paralympics and several other um, 
meets like national and provincial. And I think what, and people often ask me like what I really got out of it. And I think one of some of the things I got out of it was again, role models of people with disabilities who were, who were really strong and confident. And I think as a young sort of as a teenager and uh, like a young teenager and then an older teenager, it was really interesting to encounter people like that, but also to meet people from other countries who really didn't have what we had in terms of, you know, they would be racing in hospital wheelchairs and then people from wealthier countries would have, you know, fancy chairs yeah. or they would uh, have artificial legs that were, and I know, and that was in the 80s. So, I mean, nowadays, like it's even fancier, some of the artificial legs or the, like people would have, you know, a wooden leg or a, or they would be blinded. They would be swimming. They would be training in a, a pool that was like, you know, 10 feet long or something. And so it, it made you understand and think about Everyone's coming from different, different backgrounds places. and yeah, different. Yeah. And that's what we yeah. like. We like to talk about that in the show a lot too, is, is other countries and how disability and, and accessibility is there compared to here because yeah, it is, it is, it's differs so much depending on where you are, but yet, you know, it's all, it's all so important and it's good to get that perspective from, from different cultures and yeah, and it made you think about like how do you lobby for these things or how did it start here or, or how can we get better, you know, where we are, but also because sometimes you'd meet someone that would have cool things that we didn't have to, like someone, right. you know, from a, from the UK or Australia or somewhere US or something and you'd talk to them and you'd go, oh, well, we don't have that, you know, kind of thing. So again, it was, that's what I remember. I mean, I remember competing and stuff, but when I think back about the experience, it was kind of that whole understanding well also understanding different disabilities and talking to people with different disabilities and understanding the similarities we have but also the differences you know that exist between you know mobility disabilities and blindness or you know things like that so that we would then I think you learn and you learn um, which I think helps in the long run to think about accessibility and how things intersect you know like you know when I, I often think about when I was growing up there were all curbs right there were no curb cuts and there were no no flat curbs and then it started to be where you know people in wheelchairs needed curb cuts or flat curbs and people that were blind were saying well wait but how am I going to know you know how to line up and where to cross and and then you could have a discussion together where you you all get what you need based on an open discussion where you're not fighting like, well, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a flat curb, but I'm saying, you know, we need a flat curb with the tactile markers on it, or, you know, we need a way to know where we are. So I find that stuff always very interesting, right? Talking together and trying to find a solution where everybody gets their accessibility, which, you know, isn't always easy, but I think if you have open discussion, I think it happens. If you don't, and people say, oh, those blind people, they just don't want us to have curbs or to, to get up curbs. But it's like, no, it's not. But if you have an open discussion, they understand why we need what we need and we understand why they need, you know, what they need. And then you can make a solution. So I, I find that I find that always really, really interesting. Too. Yeah, we always talk about intersectionality and how that how that works. And of course, it depends on when you when you grow up, like you say everything's changed from Paralympics and, and all that all the way to technology that we use for everything else. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah we, technology, technology is, is keeping up with it. Totally. 
And then I also <laughs> imagine. Yeah, sorry. and that's the thing, keeping up with it. No. For sure, yeah. yeah. It's something we're always, I'm always trying to keep up on things. But yeah, as I find, I find that the older I get, I'm sort of a little less um, interested as when I was younger. But um, I, I also imagine, so your, your, your days at W. Ross, is that when you started kind of developing your interest in, in storytelling as, as far back as then as well? Well, uh, my family says it was before that. So right, even before school years. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was kind of interesting because when I, I, I there wasn't an annual storytelling festival in Ottawa for many years, and um, I kept hearing about it, and I and it wasn't far from where I lived, and I kept saying every year, oh, I'm going to go, and I didn't go, and then I was like, well, I did. And then one year I did go, and I really loved it, and I took uh, like an introductory workshop, and um and I said, oh, I took this thing, storytelling. And my family's like, well, it's about time. Like, why did you, <laughs> you know, do this? So I guess I always was kind of into it. Um, I had a family that was my, my Irish grandparents were good storytellers, just naturally good, you know, and yeah. it seemed my dad too. And people in our family, like, you know, we would sit around the table and, and people just were good at it. They were, I mean, they weren't professionally trained or, you know, right, it's a natural, perform, yeah, but, it's very authentic. But people were kinda. just naturally really good at it. So right. I grew up, and I think as blind people, when we grow up listening to words, storytelling is one of the most accessible art form because it's all about the words and the language, right? It's not physical characteristics and moving and, you know, so it is actually a very accessible art form, but it's also the one that we would be in some ways most comfortable with because we listen all the time to words and language. So, um, you know, we're listening to people around us. We're listening to conversations. We're listening to audio books, perhaps. I mean, I'm a big rail reader, but, um, you know, I mean, listening to audio books, listening to everything that makes storytelling in some ways a very natural fit for people, I would say, that are, that are blind. Um, like, I think some of the blindness skills I have... Um, help me in storytelling you know those kind of the ability to think about words and language and, and explain things with words and language because you know I couldn't be um, I've never been a visual artist or anything like that so I think I think that's why I don't, I don't know exactly why but it felt like a really nice thing like when I started going to it at then so I, was, I said oh this is great I love this so uh, it was kind of a natural um, natural thing that progressed. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being our guest and we're coming up to halfway almost already, but everybody, if you want to check her, check her out online, you are at ottawastorytellers.ca. Yeah. And there's also, um, the idea program for, uh, in schools, uh, I do programs in schools for kids and that's at masconline.ca. There's also like a video of me telling a bit of a story and, for sure, yeah. No, that's another great uh, that organization you're involved with that I was reading about, the MASC, which is the Multicultural Arts for Schools and Communities based out of Ottawa. So that's also great. So many things to talk about with Kim Kilpatrick. We are going to take a quick break here now on Outlook, and we'll be right back after these words. Radio Western. And welcome back this morning. First outlook of February 2023. Uh, thanks for tuning in this morning. 
I'm here with my brother, and we are Yo. speaking to our first guest of the month as well. Today on Outlook, Kim Kilpatrick. From Ottawa, calling, though, today from Calgary, Alberta, I believe. That, is that right, Calgary? That's right. That's where I am. <laughs> so something happened last year that um, we wanted to talk to somebody who lived there at the time. And this is the Ottawa, um, the trucker convoy. And there's been a lot on the news about how different citizens um, dealt with that, who lived there. But it's one of those things that you can't know unless you do live there. And so I wanted on this sort of year looking yeah, back I was, since. I was reading it because I was trying to kind of remember when. And again, being here in London, I definitely heard a lot about this as it was going on. But yet not living in Ottawa, it's still, you don't quite know what it's like. Um, it. But yeah, I was reading. I think it was January 20 something to the, like it was like three weeks. Uh, right. I guess I should ask you. You were the one that was there. You might remember more than yes. me. But anyway. It, it was, it, and I, I live right in the downtown core. So I live right where everything was happening. Um, and it was awful. I've never experienced, I never experienced anything like that. I, I really, it was, it was really something else. I will tell you. Um, Ottawa's kind of like at the end or during the convoy at some point there was a slogan make Ottawa boring again because some people say it's kind of boring in Ottawa Um, and uh, it kind of made me laugh but it's kind of like it's kind of a place where things are calm you know like I, I, I don't know but anyway this was just it was just unbelievable so um I had a fairly new guide dog at the time. So Ginger had only had her for like a few months too. And my previous guide dog who was retired, she died like the day before the truckers came. So that was another thing where, you know, she died and then the the city was, was, was overrun by trucks. Sounds like they came to celebrate her life or something. uh, Terrible. So how it was, was there would be these huge trucks. Like if you can imagine all the way along a street, like at the corner of my street, they were like wall-to-wall trucks, like all the way down that intersection you need to cross pretty much to do anything, like one of the made more main intersections. And they were running all the time, 24-7. And there, so there were fumes and there were horns a lot, big horns and the running motors. So like those of us who get around using mobility um, like hearing you couldn't cross that street because you couldn't hear anything you couldn't hear other cars you couldn't hear anything and at one a few times I went and asked them if they could either help me across or turn their motors off and they said no so Uh they didn't care about you know that kind of stuff Um, you know they they yelled at people take off your effing mask you know like there were I didn't know if they were yelling at me, but you don't know. Like some of them seemed kind of friendly, but some of them were, you know, not that friendly. And then they were getting, there would be confrontations between them and residents, locals, like people screaming at each other, like go back to where you came from and this and that and the other people. So it was just scary to go out. Like I would go out early in the morning, take take my dog for a walk, try to go out like when it wasn't, is chaotic and but it wouldn't sort of made me mad like this is my community like I should be able to go out whenever I feel like it but it was um it was something it was it was just really uh loud and chaotic and scary and 
like made you jumpy. Like I still feel jumpy when I hear big truck horn sometimes. Like, you know, there's a jumpiness in you. Um, when it all was ending and the police were moving in, well, even before that, it was really hard to get buses stopped running through the core because they couldn't, you know what I mean? So transit right. was hard to get out. Cabs wouldn't come in, delivery things like grocery. You know, if you wanted delivery, you weren't going to get it because like people couldn't get in or out easily. Mm. And then at the end, of course, everything was blocked off. So no transit, no LRT, no no cabs, nothing coming in and out. So you were kind of stuck. Like I, I sort of said, it's like being in a cage with a tiger. Like you want them to get rid of the tiger, but you're also there. Like you're also in the, in the core, right? With these people that you don't know what they're going to do and the police, right? So um, it was a, it was a bad, like it was a really bad experience to be blind in that, in that environment. Like I will say, you know, it was, and even though I knew the area, like it, it, it was very scary to, to live through that. And I hope, you know, I hope that I don't have to live through. Luckily, since then, there's been a few repeats, but they don't let anyone settle in to the. Well, yeah, right now, core. like I was, you're kind of saying was, is pretty much sort of the one year anniversary of this, this nonsense kind of going down there. And that, that there was talk here of their that more people coming back for the anniversary, but from what I've heard, it has luckily been a lot smaller and much more controlled after compared to last yeah, year. Yeah, so anyway. what they've done since, so what they've done since is when people want to come back, and apparently some people did go back, but they weren't allowed to drive big vehicles into the core that was blocked off. So people needed to walk in uh, or, you know, they couldn't be parked and stationed there. And I think everyone said, you know, it's okay to protest. It's all right. But there were some really scary things that happened um, in the downtown that last year where, you know, some people went into an apartment building and tried to set something on fire because they, they were disagreeing with the resident outside. And there were things like people were like... Um, you know, they were their garbage was all over the street. They were like, you know, going to the bathroom in the snow, and like there was all kinds of weird stuff that happened. And yeah, sure, there were some nice people I think that that wanted to protest. And Ottawa has a lot of protests. Like there's a lot of people that go and protest peacefully and leave. And mm -hmm. that I don't think that was the problem the residents had. The problem the residents had was, you know, sort of being harassed by people and just being like you couldn't hardly breathe well because the fumes were always there. You couldn't sleep because the horns and there were fireworks and like these big air horns, like those big hockey game air horns at any time of the day or night, you know, until they got a lawsuit with this noise violation. So that was like ten days in, I think, that they sort of curtailed that a bit but mm -hmm. you know that is um that whole yeah like that was scary as someone with a disability you know you didn't know what was coming up so say I'd go for a walk and I think what if I came across an altercation by between people or what if someone like grabbed me or like I don't know right like you don't you don't know what might happen so um yeah it yeah. was it was really it sounds it like something it sounds like you what it's basically sounds like kind of torture for like prisoners of war right you deprive people of sleep long enough you deprive them of of clean air and yeah. of a quiet long enough and quiet and, and just being able to get out and do what they needed to do you know like just yeah. being able to go around and a lot of stores had just opened and things yeah. had just opened again 
Um, and then they had to close because people couldn't get to work or they were harassed like when they were working in their stores or like people would come in and you know they would tell them could you please wear your mask or could you that or you know and they would be sometimes there were problems so it um i think you know people that didn't live through that don't understand that it was very like everyone has a right to their opinion i'm not saying they don't but that whole situation was like you said it was like a a torturing situation for us and it seemed like they weren't willing to do anything to you know to help me even when I explained like I I said I have to walk eight blocks out of my way to get to a street I can cross to go up to the other street mm -hmm. and I said if if you could help me cross or if you could turn your motor I could cross here no you know whatever it was 20 below I was walking like 16 extra blocks right to get to my house yeah. um that wasn't and they weren't interested at all. And even though they were saying, you know, freedom and we want everybody and we love everybody. And it's like, well, not really, you know, like. Well, yeah, that's that's the, that's the problem right there when when it's proclaimed to be called a freedom convoy, when really they're taking away freedoms from people, like making you feel like prisoners are in your own in your own city there. Like it's I, yeah. I, I can't I can't yeah. imagine. And just living here, you know, far, far, far enough away here in London, Ontario, just just hearing about it and the things that I heard about it, I felt really stressed over those few weeks and I wasn't even living in the city. So, you know, I, I can only, ima I can, can only well, imagine weird, it, but it's. The weird part about it too was when they would yell freedom, I thought, you know what? I felt, I felt less free the last few weeks than I felt since the beginning of COVID. Like even during COVID, when I was working from home, I could go out for walks. It was quiet. You know, I could, mm -hmm. I could do what I needed to do. Right. Um, you know, but now I can't. Like now, basically, you know, there was one day we went, we were going to go for a walk. Like usually we went for a walk early in the morning and it wasn't too bad. I mean, it was still the fumes and the trucks and stuff, but it wasn't like a lot of people. But one weekend we went and we got like halfway up a block and there were people fighting. And then I turned the other way and there were like fireworks and this other thing. And I just, I just said, I can't like, I know I'm not. And I went home. I was kind of mad like you know like it's a nice day I should be able to go and walk with my dog and the other thing too is that like I'm lucky that my dog was so um chill about it like well she, that's what I was wondering we talk oh, a lot yeah, about but, guide dogs and I the, I've had one guide dog and it's been a long time since I've had her but she was very like very what's what's the word care cautious very she, she was a good guide dog in, in in the small town i lived in but at the same point like i could only i can't imagine she would not have handled this well but like you were saying that your well, dog was pretty considering oh was pretty chill was, about it oh my gosh she just walked past the trucks like as if it was nothing but you know like i i even said to my school and my school said like a dog could retire because of that at any yeah. age right because that's not something you would normally expose right and i, I tried not to take her out like at the at the height of it but we still had to go but she just sort of nothing phased her like she didn't care you know I was a lot more worried about it than than she seemed to be but um but yeah I mean and in a way I'm glad I mean I'm not glad my retired dog died then but when she did but the thing is she was starting to hate she was 13 she's starting to hate really loud noises and stuff mm -hmm. and so she would have really probably freaked out like she probably would not have had a good nice. a good experience with it but but yeah like a dog could have retired like because of living in this situation like I don't I wouldn't blame them either because it, it was just so weird um 
yeah, but luckily it ended peacefully, like the way it happened ended okay, and that we were able to get back, you know, to our regular um, way of being. And I will say there was a lot of kindness too, like there were a lot of my neighbors that would knock on my door and ask if I needed anything and they would be happy to go get you know, get me stuff or to go. And one of my neighbors said, oh, like if you need to go for a walk, like if you need to go somewhere and you want someone to walk with you, like I'll walk with you. He said, I'll walk with you or whatever. Mm -hmm. And people offered, I got a lot of calls from people offering to get me out of the core for a period of Mm -hmm. time to have a break. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't take them up on it, but I could, like I, because I, I sort of was mad. I thought, why should I have? Well, yeah, it's, yeah. it's your city you know, where you but, live. Yeah. But I could have, you know, right. like I could have. So that was nice. But I know there were people with disabilities who really they couldn't get their home care. Like there were things that people couldn't get that they needed. Like I don't need, um, you know, I don't need home care or, um, you know, stuff like PSWs or things, personal mm-hmm. support workers, and those things. But there were people who did that couldn't get them, right? Because they couldn't get into the core. And there were people that couldn't get, you know, deliveries of stuff that they really needed because they couldn't get in. So, you know, like, I, I think that was all lost. And I, I know afterwards, um, we talked to the emergency preparedness people and, and different people at the city to say, you know, what what could you do? Like, how do you get these people their services? Because, I mean, I didn't have any services that I really needed fortunately for me but I know there's a lot of people with disabilities who did and like you say too like you had you also had you know you said support like people stopping by and and asking you if you needed anything whereas you know some people might not have that and uh, absolutely not you know or they wouldn't have anyone that lived nearby that could say I can take you out of the core Um, you know and or people who were afraid like there were people who were afraid to go out of their house you know, like out of their apartment, like just very afraid to. Um, I knew blind people who were afraid to go out. Like I went out anyway with my dog, but I mean, I think in people that used wheelchairs that were afraid to, or like mobility disabilities or, um, and definitely people who were immune compromised, like to go out and to be a, around a whole bunch of people with no mask. That was right in, in the Omicron wave, like when there was a big, Right. Wave yeah. of COVID and actually COVID cases went way up after the, after the convoy, you know, left or was around because of, you know, so many people in small spaces with, with this. So there, there were issues. I mean, I'm not saying my issues were trivial, but there were people that were way worse off than me and that needed, you know, almost could be life-saving care or, you know, care that was crucial to them functioning that they weren't getting. Right. So, um, that to me was sad and scarier than even than what I had to go through myself. You know, well, thank you for sharing some of that because, like you say, we we, oh, yeah. we couldn't share that here. The two of us, we weren't living directly in the middle of it. And uh, you say you don't always think about how it's affecting other people. Um, you do it, as a storyteller, Kim. You, I mean, you, like you said, you wrote some stuff recently a show where you talk about how it was for you during COVID. So do you think this this uh, little episode will make it into some of your writing? Well, it or? was in, it's in that show a little bit. It's in that oh, show. Okay. It's in the COVID show because it was funny because when I created the COVID similar, show. Similar experiences in, in certain Well, ways. it's part of it. It's part yeah. of it, right? Yeah. But when I created it, um, 
I thought I started in 2020 and someone asked me if we could create it and then I could do it like in 2021. So I started and it was all about, you know, waiting for my dog, which I was waiting for and about like not being able to touch anything, not being able to smell anything with your mask on, not being able, like a lot of our senses are kind of not, we can't use them the way we did. So, but then COVID just sort of kept dragging on and the show got postponed. And so it, it kept becoming a different show slightly because then I got my new dog and then that was that was okay. And then and then the convoy. So like I was creating this show uh, to be performed in June of 2022. And and then I just said, I have to put this in. I have to put this in yeah, because edit now. it's all related. So I this did, it's, it's kind of in the form of a journal. And so, um, you know, it's definitely in there. I mean, not, not every single little detail of it, but it's definitely in there, the whole um, part about it and, and um, what, what I felt and what it was like. So definitely, uh, and I think it's important that all during this time, so during COVID and during Convoy, that we document how it was for people with disabilities because in some ways we were at times forgotten right in the shuffle of the things that happened and maybe at the beginning that was okay because like everyone was pivoting to whatever but it went on a long time and there were still the x's on the floor and the plexiglass that made it hard for you to hear and there, there were a lot of things that made it difficult more difficult to move around the world as a blind person and so I really wanted to document that and to make sure that people um you know that that people know that this was a hard time in a different way for us you know to 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 live through and the convoy too because that was all part of it right but that was something difficult to live through too Right. Well, as I say, we're speaking with Kim Kilpatrick. And if you just tuned in the second half here, uh, you are from Ottawa, uh, but you are in Calgary at the moment performing at the Lunchbox Theatre, doing some storytelling. And so, yeah, I I hope that's going well. Um, Do you want to tell us some of the tricks you use for when you present? Like, do you you get nervous now? But how do you how do you deal with it? How do you memorize your work? Um, if I'm not nervous, then I shouldn't be doing it, right? I think right. I think a little yeah. adrenaline is a good thing. Right. Um, as for memorizing and learning my stuff, I, I Braille is pretty invaluable for me. So what I usually do is I, I you know, create create a script of some kind, and then I like storytelling. You don't read, and so you mm-hmm. it's all oral, and so there's a bit of ad libbing and changing a bit but but you have a basic script and certainly with this show because it goes along with pictures and voiceovers of the pictures descriptions you have to follow pretty closely to it so um i usually create that and then i i learn it in braille and then sometimes i record it myself uh, so that i can also listen to it um or if i have recordings of it from other times i use those as well but braille is pretty invaluable i'm not quite sure it wouldn't be as easy, I don't think. I mean, I know people do it, but it wouldn't be as easy without Braille to be skimming through the script and to be altering the script and just learning the script. To me, doing it over audio would definitely, to me, it would be harder. So I, I always make use of Braille when I'm when I'm doing, when I'm creating and when I'm learning um, storytelling stuff that I do. Uh, so I find Braille is very, very invaluable for those things. But... Of course, then I have to, you know, 
print it or like make it into formats so it'll be in formats that we can share that that side of people like you know that need the script too will have it so sometimes they have to put in you know the page numbers and do some stuff because it's like oh yeah, I'm just giving you the rough word, the yeah. formatting, but I don't, I don't really care about that. But yeah, so the bra- braille stuff is pretty invaluable for that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Just kind of doing it over and over, and um, you know, um, of course, when you have a dog on stage, you never know what the dog is going to do. They could do <laughs> something other than what they're, you know, like they could get up off their bed and go do something. You never know. Uh, so it's always a bit of an interesting thing to see. Mostly, I mean, they, my dogs have been very good, you know, on stage with me. But um, yeah, so again, that's a bit of a, a factor. You never quite know. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, Braille, Braille. I just love Braille, so... Yeah, we're just wrapped up Braille Literacy Month, but we always talk about Braille on the show because we're also very, bo- we're both very big Braille readers and, and, you know, obviously like everyone finds their own technique, but it, I, f- I feel the same way, like doing this show and my music show, I always have my Braille display with me with notes and it would be different, a challenge, I think, to, oh, to do oh, it the other way, but, you know, some people do, like you said, and, and ev- it, whatever works. Well, it's, yeah, it's absolutely. Cool, like I used to do like whenever I do presentations and I always think about that too or say if you're in a meeting and you can read along the agenda like if you're using a screen reader and I know people do it they, they have one earbud in and they're kind of you know listening at the same time but I have trouble listening to two things at once so I tend to um, I tend to use my braille like you know read that stuff in braille with my braille display I mean braille displays like are it's amazing that we can have you know, so much Braille now that we, and we don't have to carry around like huge, huge books of it. Yeah. So that's, that's also very nice. That's also very nice. But yeah, yeah. Braille is, Braille is great for all kinds of reasons for sure. Absolutely. So yes, we are speaking today with Kim Kilpatrick. We have just under five minutes left. The time always flies by. Kim is currently out in Calgary, Alberta, performing uh, the show Raising Stanley Life with Tulia, am I pronouncing that properly? Tulia, yeah. Tulia, yeah. and that's uh, that's happening now, and people can can get tickets through lunchboxtheater.com, and I think you can also get tickets at the door for for the show. Oh yeah, you can too. Um, so that that is great, and it's been it's been great having you on today. Um, I just wanted to touch briefly once more, not to, not to harp on this, the convoy stuff, but I was just kind of curious. So since then, um, I was reading a little bit about the Ottawa People's Commission, and I was just curious. Um, have you have you done any sort of advocacy or anything after that to kind of speak out about the um, accessibility for for you during that time or anything or just kind of how are you feeling about it now? Obviously, currently you're away from Ottawa, so maybe that's kind of nice to be away from the city of the year later. But um, just sort of curious how your how your thoughts are now, a year and a, a year after. Well, every time they say they're coming back, so again they they came on Canada Day, and I think there was another day when they said they were coming back you get a bit nervous like flutters in your stuff like a bit you know PTSD or something feeling you know that kind of yeah so I do try I, I have talked to the city and um, I think um, have some meetings with emergency preparedness and with the accessibility office and other groups to kind of say you know don't let us get lost in the shuffle if this happens again now I'm presuming that they would not let it get to that point anymore but I mean it's always good to know that that was an emergency and there were things about it that that were not um, 
that I didn't feel safe about or, you know, comfortable with, you know, how would I get out of the core if I needed to? Like what would, you know, those kind of questions of, you know, how people could get what they needed and how, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so part of what the commission is it was is put together for is because at the time a lot of people did feel like you know where are the police and what's going on you know nobody yeah that they were so. doing walks around and walking with people I mean it was a good um, group to put and also I think they were concerned so there were recently you know the of course you would have heard about the um, the hearings about the emergencies right. act right. for sure yeah. they, it was only half a day that they devoted to residents and luckily one of them was a friend of mine who's blind who, who spoke um and also the lady with the lawsuit but they only devoted that half a day to the residents and the rest of the time and there was a lot of time to the protesters and the government and the people and i understand what the what the inquiry is for it's for understanding whether it was important to call do the have the emergencies act yeah with the but border and other places they, too yeah but still yeah yeah but felt. there wasn't there wasn't enough repres- i i submitted a written submission to that you know explaining my situation and i'm i'm presuming a lot of other residents did but it was almost like they they wished there'd been like a whole day for residents or two days because it felt like mm-hmm. you know we were sort of forgotten in that the bigger process of do we invoke the act did they do the right thing but it's like wait you didn't live through it you don't know what you know, right what you just came like. in here so, during this these few weeks yeah. you don't live here so Right. Yeah. yeah. So much. Yeah. So much to talk about. Not Thanks the, not, for sharing that. With yeah, us. we really do appreciate the 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 first well, uh, hand account of all of this going on, and uh, obviously not the most <laughs> fun thing to be talking about. But I'm glad we mixed it in today with some fun stuff and your your show oh, out it's there. Very important, though. It's for it, sure. Right? I think it's very very important to talk about it, though, and important to get a disability perspective on it. I think that's really important. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Kim. We appreciate having you on today, and um, thanks we will- for having me. Yes, anytime. We'd love to have you back someday, and uh, we will be back next week. And uh, yeah, good luck with the rest of your shows. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks. Good luck with your show. It's a great show. Thank you. Thanks so yeah. much. We appreciate it, and we'll uh, talk to everyone next week. Thank you. Thanks. Send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.